and you to what Christ has done. A phrase that we've been using a lot out here lately is this phrase called practical Christianity. What does that look like? What does it practically look like to live the Christian life day in and day out? We have these high goals that we want, but what does it really look like? One of my favorite shows to watch on PBS is America's Test Kitchen. I don't know if you've ever watched it. I love America's Test Kitchen. My boys, when they were younger, used to pretend to be the cooks on America's Test Kitchen and act out the things. So we watch America's Test Kitchen. We love America's Test Kitchen. But you know what the problem with America's Test Kitchen is? None of the meals they make are practical. For a family of nine, they are just not practical. When they're telling me to prepare it and I put it in the refrigerator for 12 hours, I can throw chicken nuggets in and be done in 12 minutes. Why am I worrying about 12 hours? I'm not doing that. It's not practical. It looks amazing. It looks beautiful. It looks wonderful. But the practical thing, if I come home and I have 20 minutes and I'm hungry, does not work for America's Test Kitchen. I still love the show. I think sometimes when we start teaching about works, we have these idealized goals. This is the Christian I'm going to be. I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to spend an hour in prayer. Then I'm going to spend an hour in the Word. Then I'm going to spend an hour just witnessing. And then I'm going to fast, and I'm going to do this. And yes, that all sounds good, but the practical day in, day out of life, how do you really live for Jesus Christ? And that's what I want to talk about for these next few weeks. I just want to say, what does it look like to be an on-fire believer in a world that's completely falling apart? And what does it look like to be heavenly-minded in a world that really doesn't care anything about heaven? A lot of you work today, and at work, I doubt anybody stopped and said, hey, let's really focus on Jesus today. Probably didn't happen. But isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? When you get up tomorrow, your whole focus is supposed to be Christ, your bond servant. I'm a bond servant. What makes us do that? What makes the practical Christianity? So let's talk about this. To make sure you understand what I'm talking about, and make sure you understand the, the full picture of this, we have a lot of verses we're going to do. And I was going to put them up on the screen, and I thought, no, I want us to flip through these. I want you to mark them, I want you to underline them, I want you to chew on this. And I don't know how long we're going to get, but I want us to be willing to stop and just say, let's talk about this verse. Let's just talk about it. So let's start with this. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let's just make sure we have this verse completely understood, what we are talking about before we move on with anything else. You are saved by grace and grace alone. Grace is a fascinating word. I love the word. It literally means gift. This idea that God has given you a gift. Real quick side story on grace. I was at Walmart a while ago, and you know one of the things I love to do is to talk to the cashier as I'm checking out to see if God opens the door. So I'm talking to the cashier gal, and she had a very interesting name. Very interesting. It was Karis. And I said, that's a very interesting name. She goes, yeah. I said, I don't normally run into people with that type of name. She goes, yeah, it means grace. So then I put my pastor hat on and said, yeah, I know. I'm a, I'm a pastor. It's the Greek word for grace. And she goes, and everybody needs grace. I thought, amen. And so we had this wonderful opportunity just to just talk about the Lord. And here's this beautiful name that just means grace. And I love the fact that when it was brought up, she was willing to say, it's grace and everybody needs grace. And that's exactly what it is. Grace is a gift that everybody needs. Let me just stress this. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. If you could earn salvation, it wouldn't be a gift. If you could earn salvation, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? That makes no sense. So I know we know this, but this, this has to be laid here completely. Verse 8, one more time. By grace, a free gift, 
You have been saved through faith. I was not there. I did not see Jesus get crucified. But in faith, I believe it worked. I believe that he died. I believe he went to the tomb. I believe that three days later it was empty. And I believe 40 days later he ascended into heaven. And I believe he's sitting at the right hand, right hand throne of God right now. By faith, I believe all that. It is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. There's nothing. Nothing I could have done. And it's not of works, thus anyone should boast. So we got that foundation, right? So we can walk in grace. It's not of works. But then you got verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wait a second. Verse 9, it's not of works. Verse 10, but you created me for good works. That's where we start to struggle with as a Christian. I get that I'm saved by grace, but now that I'm saved and walking in Christ, God expects me to do something. Now we have a hard time with that balance, don't we? Because I'm saved by grace, I'm not saved by works. But now that I'm saved, what are you going to do with that? Now we just have to stress a couple things. Verse 10, we are his workmanship. That's a really interesting phrase, workmanship. In the original Greek it means we are his poem. You are a walking poem of God. A beautiful piece of poetry that he has created specifically, specially for you. Now, if you've ever come up to me over the years and you've been in a moment where you said, James, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I just, I'm lost and confused. I feel like I'm just kind of fluttering through life. And I would say that is the simplest question to answer. Because according to Ephesians 2.10, you were created to do good works. That's what it says right there. So if you were here tonight and you're in one of those phases of, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in life. Question asked, question answered. It's over. It's done. And this is the response I normally get. Well, I mean, I know that, but I mean, really, what am I supposed to be doing? We just answered it. You're created to do good works for Christ Jesus that verse 10, God has already prepared beforehand and walk in it. You are not created just to go get a 9 to 5 job. You are not created just to go out and build the house of your dreams. You're not created to collect the cars you want. You're not created to build the landscaping you want. You're not created to do any of that. You're created to do good works that glorify Jesus Christ and points people towards Him. When you get that mindset, life now has a purpose. If you do not have that mindset, you're still trying to work to please yourself. And if you're working to please yourself, how could you ever be a good bondservant? How could you ever be a good slave? Like we talked about on Sunday, we're created to serve whatever the Lord has called us to do. It would not work for me as a slave to go to the master. And the master says, James, I want you to go over there and minister. Oh, not today. I really want to get out there and just, just take care of the house today. No. The slave does not tell the master what to do. But we live a life and we have been created in this mindset that we think that we have a right we have privileges. This is not the life I wanted. I remember one time doing counseling with a gal, and it still breaks my heart when I think about what she said. She said something to this effect. I've spent so many years focusing on others, it's time for me to focus on myself. Obviously, she does not understand Ephesians 2.10, that you're created for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. What are those good works? Let's talk about these works that are not. They're not works that save you, because we've already established that. They're not works that keep you saved. They're not works that keep you saved. Remember that. When we went up to Dearborn, and they were doing the training with us real quick before we went out and shared with the Muslims, 
uh, Pastor George up there shared this amazing point. I've never heard it before. I love it. I've been using it all the time now. And, and the idea was this, that the Muslim community up there believes that they can get into heaven by good works. And when we went up there, it was the month of Ramadan. And so they were in this month of Ramadan of the fasting from you know, sunrise to sunset, and they do all these things. And if you go up and ask them, why are you celebrating Ramadan? They come right out and say, we're hoping to get enough good works. Why do you want enough good works? Because they want to get into heaven. That's their mindset. So Pastor George said this, when they mentioned this, just simply say this. How many bad works did it take to get Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden? One bad work. See, Muslims believe in creation and Adam and Eve. So how many bad works did it take for Adam and Eve to get out? One bad work. So one bad work kicks you out of heaven. Now how many good works could Adam and Eve have done to get back in the Garden of Eden? The answer is, it's impossible. They could never have done enough good works to get back in. He says, that is your starting point to explain salvation to them. One bad work kicks you out, and there's no amount of good works that can get you back in. And they believe that because they believe in the creation story. And what a wonderful, wonderful witnessing opportunity it was. But i got to tell you a quick little side story about this. I told you we're doing the, the messages different, so I'm just going to talk like I normally talk. When you go up there to share, the rules are pretty simple. You had to go in a guy-gal combination. And only the women were allowed to knock on the door. The men aren't allowed to walk on the door. Because if I go up and knock on the door and a woman answered, she's not allowed to talk to me. And it was Ramadan, so therefore it was very holy. And for them to even talk to somebody who wasn't Muslim, they wouldn't even do it. A lot of them just wouldn't even open the door. They'd look at you through the curtain, tell them you weren't Muslim, and they didn't want anything to do with you. But if a woman opened the door, Shannon, I went with Shannon, she was my partner there, she was with uh, Elias, my son was with me. Shannon would talk to the woman. Well, if a guy answered the door, Shannon needed to get out of the way as quickly as she could, so I could go up and talk to the guy. That's how it is. Guys talk to guys, gals talk to gals. They explained it, we got it, okay. And you, girls don't talk to guys. They would be extremely disrespectful. And guys don't talk to women because the woman could get in huge trouble with her husband if she is found talking to a man that's not her husband. So anyway, there's these two guys out working on their porch. So I go up to them, they're guys. We start talking. It's this great conversation, and the Lord is really moving and working, and he's talking about works getting saved. And and, and he brings up this point, and this point is about his trying to do enough good works to get into heaven. Well, Shannon's not allowed to talk to him, right? She's a woman. So Shannon is like 30 feet away. So Shannon realizes that I'm not doing as good a job as I could have done. So Shannon's yelling to me instructions. And so she's yelling, tell him about the Garden of Eden! That's just... So you ask Shannon the next time you see her, and at the, we get, I get done talking to him. I go, Shannon, what were you doing? She goes, you were supposed to tell about the Garden of Eden. I said, why didn't you come up and tell me? I'm, to, I'm not allowed to. The women can't talk to the men. So I said, your great idea was just to yell at me from a distance? And she said, yeah. So I'm just, that's sharing your faith, according to me. Right there. I just want to So, anyway, you can't do words to stay safe, because we got those points. Now, here's where we start running into problems. I think everybody here would agree, works don't save me, I can't do works to stay safe. We run into this now. I must be saved because of look at all the works I do. That's, that's dangerous. You're, do you remember what Jesus wrote to the church in Revelation? He says, I see your works. I know what you do. I know you do all these good things. He says, but you have left your first love. See, the problem with a message like this is there are some people that are so convinced that they have to be right with Christ. And how do you know you're right with Christ? Because look at everything I do. I'm so busy for Jesus. I mean, I'm serving at church 
Every, I never miss a Sunday. If they have a need, I feel it. I'm doing my devotion. I'm doing, yes, you're doing a lot of good things. But if in your heart you're basing your salvation, I must be saved because look at me, you're, you're completely mistaken. Completely mistaken. I know some people that are so busy serving Jesus, they've forgotten why they're serving Jesus. I mean, they're so busy. And the hard part is you can't talk to them about it. Because they're so focused, well, look at everything I do, and what happens? You know what happens with this mindset? Works, I must be saved, look at all I do. You start looking down on everybody else. Well, they must not love Jesus like I love Jesus. Because I'm serving every Sunday. I'm serving every Wednesday. Every time there's a need, I'll be there. And you must not love Jesus like I love Jesus, because you would be there as well, too. What a dangerous place to be. You're saved by grace and by grace alone. What's the fourth thing that works on? Works aren't a have to. I have shared with this before. You do not have to read your Bible every day. You do not have to pray every day. You don't have to share your faith. You don't have to serve anywhere. And please don't get up and leave now. You don't have to be here tonight. You don't have to. Because if your relationship with Jesus was based on have tos, then why did he do what he did on the cross? So just remember those four things that works aren't. Works do not save you. Works do not keep you saved. Works don't say, I must be saved, look at everything I'm doing, and works are not a have to. So once we have established what they aren't, what is he really trying to say here in verse 10? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, let's talk about that. Go with me to Titus now, please. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. So if the focus is not supposed to be works, why am I talking about works? Let's look at Titus 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable men. That is quite the verse right there. That is quite the verse. I just want to read a couple different translations of it. This is a trustworthy saying. This is the Living Translation. And I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Then I be. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trust in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Look at the wording here, guys. I want you to insist on these teachings. I want you to stress these things. Paul is making a point. Some translations say affirm constantly. He wants you to do this. I'm supposed to, as your pastor, to be reminding you regularly, get out there and do good works for the Lord. But to also remind you it is not earning your salvation. It's not keeping your salvation. It's not proving that you're saved. Look at me how good I am. That's not a have to. This is a hard balance for us to find. So basically what we have established here in the first 20 minutes is James, I'm not saved by works so don't even worry about works, but now that I'm saved really worry about works. Amen, you got it. We have to start talking about these things. Now we have to ask ourselves a couple questions at this point. I've really reached a point I've heard church 
where I just want to take the moment and stop and say, where are you at with the Lord? And I just want you to look deeper in Christ. That's all I care about. So right now, be honest with yourself. As I read these phrases to you from Titus 3, verse 8, does this describe your life? Are you insisting in your life that you're doing good works? Are you stressing in your life that you're doing good works? Do you believe that good works are excellent and profitable? Do you believe they're good and beneficial, like the Word says? You have to stop and say, am I doing it? Now, the problem with a message like this is someone's going to hear it and they're going to say, you're starting to sound legalistic. You just said, I don't have to do anything. You're right, I don't. You don't have to. That's the beauty of grace. But I want you to want everything that Christ has in store for you. And I want you to have that mental mindset that, you know what, it's not about me. It's about Christ. And right now, I bet a lot of you came in here tonight thinking about what? Life. Life that has nothing to do with heaven or hell. Life that has nothing to do with eternity. I bet you the last thing that got you worked up in life had nothing to do with eternity. Probably something pretty frustrating on this earth, right? I bet you maybe even the last thing in this world that you were passionate about probably didn't have much to do with eternity either. You got excited about something. You know, how simple can we make this world when it's just about us? When really God says it's supposed to be about me. To continue on this level, we're not going to have you turn there, but just write it down. Hebrews 10.24. Hebrews 10.24. New King James says this, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I like how the other translations say it. New Living Translation. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Can you imagine if you came into church and you said, Gosh, who can I motivate tonight to do more good works for the Lord? If you went up to someone and said, how can I encourage you to go deeper in your walk and relationship with Jesus? Or you know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow or this weekend? I'm going to be doing this. And this is a real neat ministry opportunity. I'd really like you to come along with it. And I want to motivate you to do good works. NIV says it this way. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We'd almost be offended by that, wouldn't we? If somebody came up to you and said, how can I motivate you to do more for the Lord? How can I spur you on to do more for the Lord? Wouldn't we stop and say, why don't you worry about motivating yourself? But it's interesting, that Greek word, you know in Matthew 7, verse 3, it's a very famous verse that says, before you pull the speck out of somebody's eye, you're supposed to pull the plank out of your own eye. That's the exact same Greek word, meaning this. What Jesus is telling you not to do in Matthew 7, which is being look around at everybody and pick out their sin, he's saying now in Hebrews 10, 24, the same Greek word, I want you to look at everybody with that same intensity to motivate you to do what's right. We wouldn't handle that real well, would we? Seriously, I just want you one more time to mentally imagine this. You walk into church on Sunday. Somebody comes up to you. We'll say it's somebody you know. They would say, you know what? I've been praying for you all week. And I love you. And I want to motivate you to do more for Jesus Christ. Because I looked at your life and I think there's a whole other level that you can go to and you're walking your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to spur you on and I want to motivate you to be crazy for Jesus this week. That is a completely biblical false statement. But we'd be offended by that probably. See, it's, it's hard to think like that because so often we're thinking about us. 
And really what we need to do is change the way we think about ourselves. Well, you know what? I think it's pretty personal. I think it's pretty private. And that's why, James, as you like to say, it is called a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I agree. Personal relationship. But as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he's also asked us to be part of a community of believers. And part of being a community of believers is encouraging one another to go to the next level. Encouraging, motivating, spurring them on. Not forcing, not pushing. I've shared this story with you many times before. I've heard a pastor share it. Happened down at a church in Florida. There was a guy that recently got saved. He was excited about the Lord. And he decided finally to get involved in ministry. So he got involved in ministry. What they did is they did a soup kitchen on Sunday. So he went the one Sunday. Loved it. That's what he was called to do. He absolutely loved it. Just was blessed beyond belief. He told the guy that invited him, I love it. This is my ministry. This is what I want to do. I love it. The guy said, great. We do it every Sunday. So I'll see you next week, same time to do it. The guy stopped and said, oh, I know. I can't do it next Sunday. The guy said, why? Next Sunday was Super Bowl. He goes, I, I'm going to be home. I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl. Now, let's just stop the story right there. Who's right and wrong? Neither one. But this is where the story takes a turn. The guy that then said, you should come next Sunday, got angry at him and said, if you really love Jesus, you would let go of the Super Bowl and come to the soup kitchen. See, that's where the personal relationship with Jesus Christ is no longer a personal relationship. You're telling me how to live my life. What is that example of the story? The one person feels loved to do it every Sunday, then by golly, you should do it every Sunday. But don't push that burden on somebody else. If the person feels loved to do it, then by golly, you should do it. To do it, we should motivate each other, we should spur each other on, we should encourage each other, but we should never make it a legalistic have to. How is that love if we legalistically make you serve? How is that love if I come up to you and say, Have you shared Christ with somebody this week? No. Don't you care that they're going to hell? Well, yes, I do care, but then you better get out there and do something. All of a sudden, it's a force. I don't want anything to be forced. I want you to stop. What I want you to do over these next few weeks is as, as you leave, as you go home in your devotions, I want you just to stop and just pray about it and say, Lord, am I doing this? Am I really a bond servant that stops and says it's nothing about me and it's all about you? And am I really willing as a, a bond servant, as a slave, to put myself in positions that you have led me to? Remember Ephesians 2.10, God's prepared these works beforehand and say it's not about my life. Don and I are in some spots right now where the Lord's really speaking to us like it's not about our lives. I thought we were in a good spot spiritually. Like, oh Lord, we're yours. All of us. All of every part of us. He's like, every part of it? It's like, oh, I guess not every part. And it's not a have to. It's not some type of God making me feel bad. It's more of just the Lord saying, James, I just want to shine the light in your life and reveal there's more. And don't you want it? See, Jesus will take you as deep as you are willing and wanting to go. But to bring this full circle, what does this do now with the body of Christ? Well, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Timothy 4.15. 1 Timothy 4.15. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Different translation. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. My life is supposed to be such an example that people see it. 
and stop and say there's something going on in his life. Well, see, so often we preach this quiet behind the scenes, don't let anybody know what you're doing. Paul is saying, no. Your life is supposed to be so crazy for the Lord that people see it and say, what's going on there? That's a whole other level of Christianity that I, I just, I didn't know existed. Now let's find the balance with this. Can you go with me to Matthew, please? Two verses in Matthew. Why don't you go to Matthew 5 and Matthew 23. Matthew 5 and Matthew 23. Matthew 5, one we know. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. One more time. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People should see what you're doing. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Stress that. God gets the glory. It's not about you getting attention. No one cares. It's about the Lord getting the glory. It's about the Lord getting attention. That's a fine line. We used to have a Bible study in our house on Fridays years ago. And we used to start out with prayer requests and uh, testimonies and just praises of what the Lord has done. And it was a wonderful time just to hear what the Lord was doing in everybody's lives. We ended up having to stop that for a while because it turned into a competition. I just want to praise God for Him using me to reach many people this week for Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that I was you by the Lord with my wisdom. And then the person beside God, thankful the Lord used you, but I'm really thankful he used me more than he used you. And it just became this pat on the back. You hear me make this joke all the time. How do you know that person's crazy for Christ? Because they keep telling me how crazy they are for Christ. Because they want you to know. Jesus says, yeah, let your walk so shine before men that they may see the works of the Lord for your Father. Glorify your Father. It's never about the man. It's never about the church. It's never about the ministry. It's about pointing people towards Jesus Christ. The flip side to that, go to Matthew 23 now. Matthew 23 is one of the harshest chapters of the entire Bible. Jesus spares no words for the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. Verse 1, Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe to do, but not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. See, they're basically preaching without living it. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Look at verse 5. All their works they do to be seen by men. Jesus is saying right here, what they're telling you to do may be right, but look at their heart. And you know what? You probably know somebody, you probably know a ministry, you probably know a church, but what they're doing is good. But man, it's all about them. It's never supposed to be about us. Whatever we do is supposed to be pointing people towards Christ Jesus. That's what our life is supposed to be. One last passage, and then we're going to be done. Go back to Titus 3. Back to Titus 3. Before we get to that last passage, anybody got any questions, comments here about anything here before we kind of make some closing points? Okay. Look at Titus 3, verse 8, one more time. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Remember, other translations insist, strive, stress, 
I want you to affirm constantly that those who believe in God should be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable men. That phrase, maintain good works. Some translations say devote themselves to good works, affirm constantly. That word maintain is really interesting. It literally means make it the rule of your life. Make it the rule of your life. Meaning, make that your rule for how you live your life. Is that I'm going to go out there and do good works for the Lord. Now, we're going to build on this. Because I think the obvious question that comes up is, okay, well, what does that look like? You said, James, you're going to give us practical Christianity. You just keep telling us to do out there and do good stuff. What does it look like? Well, we only got so much time here one Wednesday night. We'll keep building on it. But that's the goal. I want you to be in prayer this week over those two verses, Titus 3.8 to Ephesians 2.10. That's your homework. Ephesians 2.10 and Titus 3.8. Ephesians 2.10, you were created to be God's workmanship, to do good works in Christ. You were created for a purpose. I want you to pray about that this week. What am I called to do? What does that look like? And then I want you to do in Titus 3.8, this affirm constantly, stress. I want to maintain this. I want to live it. I just don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to have moments of it. I really want it to be my life. And as you're doing this, I want you to be careful. Because there's going to be an excitement. There's going to be a fun. There's going to be a wow. This is what I've always wanted. It's going to be really easy to do a couple things. And please hear me out because I've gone through this myself. Number one, it can't start looking down on people. It can't start saying, I finally figured out this Christianity thing. I just love Jesus so much. Look at all those people over there that don't love him as much as I love him. No. It's never comparative Christianity. Never. You can then, what happens after the excitement, you start becoming what I call the seven dwarfs burpee Christian. Because since people aren't doing as much as you're doing, I'm just mad at them. See, it went from pride. Oh, people don't do as much as I do. Now it's like, why don't they do anything? There's just so many seat fillers out there at church. They don't love Jesus like I love them. So then goes the grumpy Christian. You know what happens after grumpy Christian? I'm just gruntled Christian. Fine, I'm just not going to do anything either. See, I'm the one that's always doing stuff. I'll just see what happens one time if I don't do anything. And then what happens is you're not doing it for the Lord anymore. It's really easy to go from joyful to grumpy to disgruntled really quick. Because all of a sudden you're not doing works for the Lord. You're doing it either to be seen, you're doing it to make yourself feel good. It's not about you, it's about Him. And so what we need to do is to say, Lord, you've created me for a specific purpose. This is the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What is my personal calling in life? And sometimes it's as simple as I'm just going to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I'm going to be a good wife and homemaker and mom. Or I'm going to raise my kids in Christ. Or I'm going to love my neighbor. Or I'm going to be helpful to my mom who's going through a difficult time. Sometimes it's just simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Other times it's a little bit more in depth where the Lord's actually giving you a calling and saying, I want you to go do this. We're going to be talking about that. But then it comes down to that Titus 3.8 to affirm constantly, to maintain it. Because you probably have all had moments in your walk where you're like, you have a week or two weeks or months, and it's just great. It's all clicking. No, we want to keep that going. In Christ, not by works, not a laboring thing of a have to. Lord, I just love you and I want to do it. I want to make this the rule of my life. I want to make this the order of my life. That's all about you. So what does that look like practically? We'll get into that next week. But we have to lay the foundation of what does it mean as a believer to do good works for Christ, because that's what he's called us to do. Maybe.
excellent point that we we're going to get into here is come out comes out of first Corinthians three is things are going to be sorted out in heaven. It may not be fully noticed or appreciated down here. But the Lord sees the Lord knows what you see in First Corinthians chapter three is as a believer will stand before Christ. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that he's going to test our works to see where we're doing things for him. Now please note once again this is not works for salvation. I gotta keep stressing this, but it's works of what did you do for me? And then those works equate to rewards in heaven. Now, usually at this point, I have somebody that stops and says, Oh, James, I don't care about rewards in heaven. I do. Because you're misunderstanding what rewards in heaven are. Rewards in heaven are not for you to walk around for all of eternity with the biggest crown on your head. The rewards in heaven are for you when you go to Jesus just to lay it down in his feet and say, Lord, this is what I did for you. I served you. It's not about you for all eternity having the most rewards. No, Christ, you gave me a life to live on this earth, and I lived it for you. So, Lord, here it is. So we're going to get into that here in the next few weeks, too, that idea of 1 Corinthians 3. Anybody else have any final questions, comments, or before? Gross. Right It is taking care of it. And, you know, Paul uses the word about exercising your faith. Is it's keeping your faith in shape and, and doing the things that he's called you to do. You know, someone brought up the question last week about, uh, you know, working out your salvation. You know, what does that mean? And we talk about how it doesn't mean working for your salvation. It means your salvation is there. You're strengthening your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And once again, let me stress this. Don't overcomplicate this. This is not go home and all of a sudden say, okay, maybe I'm called to go to Africa. Maybe you are. You may just be called to love your spouse deeper. You may just be called to finally go talk to your neighbor. You know, sometimes we think it has to be deep. And gosh, um, Tony mentioned today that something, the paralysis of analysis was the phrase she used. There's a guy that used to come out here and I love him. Oh, I love him. He had a heart for the Lord. But he couldn't take a step. Everything was just never was right or perfect. And this guy had such a heart for the Lord, but he stayed right there and never did anything. Where there was other people that went out, succeeded, failed, but they moved forward. And they were willing to try. And if you look at the book of Acts, there's successes and there's failures. They're going to go out there and try. And sometimes those failures really aren't failures. The Lord still uses them. He works for good in all things. But one of my favorite people in the Bible, and I'm doing this study with somebody right now through Luke, is Anna in Luke chapter 2. And if you remember her, she says right here, I'm reading it real quick. This woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Well, she obviously doesn't love the Lord. She just hung out at the temple all day. She wasn't out there on the front lines doing this or that. No, she was doing her calling, serving God with fastings and prayers night and that's what her calling was. You may be in a season right now where you say, James, I would love to do this. I'd love to do that. I would love to do that. I, it's not that the Lord's, I'm saying no to the Lord. I don't think he's calling. But then whatever you're planted, just grow. 
And for whatever season that is, and your season right now may be spouse, it may be kids, it may be neighbor. Your season right now may be something out there. I don't know. Just be willing. <coughs> be willing to do it. And really, isn't this all we're talking about? It's just, Lord, I am willing to really be the bond servant, the slave you've called me to be, and Lord, it's yours. <sighs> that means whatever he gives you, it's going to be for your good. It may not look like it at the time, but it will be for your good. So, the homework, Ephesians 2.10, Titus 3.8, pray over those verses this week. Next week, when we get together, let's go to the next step. Okay, how do we apply this? What does this look like? Any other final questions, comments, about anything before it goes up? Hey, can you do me a favor? Can we all stand? Let's pray. Let's all stand and pray. Lord, as we're just coming to you now, we're coming to you as a body of believers united together as one in Christ Jesus. Lord, anointed with the Holy Spirit, sealed in the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and created to do good works by you for the Lord. We want to leave this building today being the people you've called us to be, and we pray that these messages over the next few weeks are messages that take us deeper in you to really stop and say it's about you and all that we say and all that we do. Give us opportunities and then give us the strength to walk in those opportunities. Lord, help it not to become legalistic. Help it not to become the grumpy, the grouchy, the whatever. Help it not to become imperative. But Lord, just in you, we want to serve you. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thank you guys. We will see you next week. Don't forget fellowship meal next Wednesday.